Well, last week we touched on a message on what it means to be spiritually prepared. And I said I wanted to do it in two different messages um, because there's just too much good stuff. And um, today is that second part of that message. Um, and it's, uh, the message today has to do with the permanent acts of God that uh, came upon your life the moment you became a Christian. Um, that's what we're going to look at, look at today. You know, the army has a saying, and it is, be all that you can what? Be all that you can be. In God's army, it's the same thing. Jesus would say the exact same thing to all of us here today. And if you're a child of his, you're in his army. You're in his family. And we know that down here on this planet, it is a lot of times it's hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, and you know that. All you got to do is go home and turn on your television, says to be reminded about the, the war and the spiritual war that we are up against. But God has an army too, and that is his family. That's his church. And we are the ones that represent him to a world that just doesn't have a clue as to who he is. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, stock put into the fact that God is using you to show others around you who his son is. So for that reason alone, there's a lot, I wouldn't use the word pressure, there is a lot at stake for us to be spiritually prepared. Amen? Amen. Because when you're living your life for Jesus, if you're not living your life for Jesus, but you claim the name, but you're not living for Him, you are sending a message that it is okay to be carnal or to be away from God and, and, and how you're living your life. Hey, I'm going to heaven, so it doesn't really much matter what I do, right? And those types of people bring so much damage to the name of Christianity. I don't even think half of them really have a genuine relationship with Christ in the first place. They got a lot of head knowledge, but they don't have the relationship. And there's the difference right there. So... Um, when you became a Christian, and when I became a Christian, the Bible says a lot of things, a lot of things took place. Um, how many of y'all knew that when you became a Christian, the Bible said that you spiritually died? How many of you knew that? I didn't know that. I was alive. I was doing pretty good. I was having a whole lot of fun with all my friends before I began to fall underneath the conviction of the Holy Spirit and God started to reveal to me the things I was doing, how I was living my life. I was saved when I got out of high school. It wasn't cool. It wasn't what God wanted. I was spiritually dead, but I was very much alive. But the way God looked at me, the way God perceived me, the way God viewed me, I was dead. I was a dead man walking. And I could have, had, <clears throat> I could have bragged on all kinds of the positive stuff, but before God himself, 
It was as if I was already in a coffin, done away, buried. I was dead. The Bible makes it really clear that before you come to know Christ, there is a point in your life when you have to come to recognize that you are in trouble, that you need forgiveness, that you need someone to come in and save the day, if you will, on on your behalf, because you cannot do it. You can get baptized. You can go to vacation Bible school. You can go to church every single Sunday. You can read the Bible. You can pray to Jesus. And you still go to hell. When we base our purpose of... When we think about the uh, afterlife, eternal life. When we base our acts, what we do as a means to say we get in... You don't. Because it's not on what we do. It's what he did when he hung on that cross. And our job is to commit to him, to believe in him, to confess him and the atonement that he brought about through the work that he did on the cross is all sufficient enough to save us from our sins. And when we really recognize that, and you really just put yourself before the Lord and say, listen, God, without, without Jesus, I, I have no hope. There is not a chance. I don't, there is nothing I can do to elevate myself one more foot higher to get to heaven, save than, um, uh, than accepting the work of what Jesus did on the cross by dying for my sins. When we receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says God takes his life and he puts it right in you. And that that dead man walking is no longer a dead man walking. Because Jesus comes and resides inside of you the hope of glory. The Bible says you are made new and you come to life. And you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you sin? Of course. But are you going to have to pay for those sins when you die? Absolutely not. Because when you go to Jesus, Jesus takes your sins, your scars, everything, and he does away with them. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all new things have come. And that's what the gospel message is all about. It is all on what Jesus did, not what we can do, but our job is to place our faith and follow him. That's what the gospel message is. Now, when you accepted Christ, a lot of things took place in your life and you had no idea that it took place. God didn't ask your permission for the things to take place because he was bringing it about. And so that's what we're going to look at. But just for fun, like right now, what I want you to do is here in a few moments, I'll start it off. I just want you to share uh, what year, the year that you became a Christian. When you gave your life to, now some of you all know the day and month, some of you guys, you don't have a clue, they have a roundabout time, you you think you, you know what it is. But do you remember the year 
that you found the Lord. What year was it? And I want you to say it out loud. For me, it was 1983. Someone. 77. 72. 63. 69. 2010. 2009. 76. 93. 1845, Vivian? <laughs> I, I, it's a long way up. I, okay. I've been waiting all week just to say that comment. You have no idea. I feel good all of a sudden. You know what's interesting? It doesn't even matter what the year was. The things that God did in your life is the exact same thing that he did in everyone else's life, regardless of what year it took place. That's what is so cool. And so we're going to take a look at those things. The amazing thing is, regardless of whatever year you gave your life to Christ, every one of these nine events that we're going to look at um, happened to everyone else around you. Number one, the Bible says that you were born of the Spirit. You were given new life, and you were born from above. The Bible says, oh, and let me say this too for the guys in the back. Every single one of these points, you can go ahead and put up the, the slide for the, uh, the Scripture reference. A Scripture reference for this one, you were born of the Spirit, given new life, born from above. It's found in John 3, 8. The Bible says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from, and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, in this passage, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. He was one of the, uh, the, the teachers of the law. And he was talking to Nicodemus about what does it mean to be a believer. And the verse that, uh, that you'll find prior to this is the verse that uh, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Every single one of us in this room, we were born of the flesh. That was your birthday. That was when you came forth from mom. But the Spirit is the day which you were born again. This is when Jesus came into your life and the Holy Spirit uh, came into you. You know, it's interesting that the word uh, wind and the word spirit in the Old and New Testament are interchangeable words. Did you know that? It's really interesting, too. And there's a reason for that, too. See, just as the wind has its own laws, it's not answerable to human demands uh, or dictates, or, or, or dictates its paths, are mysterious its direction is apt to change without notice the same thing goes for the spirit of god and that's why jesus was uh using the wind as symbolism as that with being the spirit you know the laws of both the wind and the spirit are known only to a small degree both are invisible both can be sensed and the presence of both is revealed by their 
effects. Just as branches of a tree betray the passing of the wind, so does a person's thoughts, a person's words, and a person's deeds. It reveals that an invisible force has influenced him or her. It is the Holy Spirit of God that comes upon you and into you when you give your life to Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've been possessed by someone. Go ahead. You notice I said someone. You've been possessed. I've been possessed. Now, some of you guys might have something else in mind, but I'm not talking about that. The minute you gave your life to Jesus, you were possessed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came out of heaven, and he came right into your heart. He came right into your life. That's why Jesus told the disciples, listen, unless I go, the comforter will not be able to come. And now that is why the Holy Spirit can reach you, meet you, no matter where you are, anywhere, anytime, any day, and hit everyone else at the same time who cry out to God. Number two, you were baptized into the body of Christ. You were baptized into the body of Christ. Now, there is no water in this baptism. It simply means that you were thrust into Jesus you are identified totally with him in the family of God. The scripture, for by one spirit we were all baptized into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free men, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The Bible says that we were baptized into the body of Christ. Now, this single act happens to everybody. The moment you become a Christian, this, this has nothing to do with water. This most definitely has nothing to do with speaking in tongues, um, as those of the charismatics would claim. The speaking of tongues was a temporary sign gift that was given to the early church. Remember, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. Uh, this baptism is what puts us into the mystical body of Christ. Paul here says all believers, all Christians, uh, have been baptized either by or with the Holy Spirit and is incorporated into the body of Christ. Now, this baptism puts the believer into the body. We are the body. The church is the body of Christ. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you were put into the body of Christ. All right? Um, the drinking, remember the verse, you were um, for by one spirit we were all baptized into the body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. The drinking puts the spirit into the body of the Christian. These two simultaneous acts of God happens to sinners the moment that they become a Christian. Number three, the Bible says, and this is the good one right here. Well, they're all good, obviously, but this is, you, uh, this is important to remember. You were sealed 
with the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says this, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I want to ask you, there's a lot of information there, but did you catch all that Paul was saying? There's a lot packed in this, in this little, little verse. The Bible says that you and I, the moment we gave our lives to Christ, you were sealed. You were sealed. What is the point of a seal if it can be broken? What is the point of a seal if it can open? It doesn't really seal. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit the moment you surrendered your life to Christ. The Bible says your standing with God is now fixed forever. It's horizontal. It's you and your relationship to the Lord. Your standing with God is fixed. But your state will change every single day. Why does the Bible say that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That means that you are living on His power and not your own for that day. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not lash out in anger. You will not respond with a critical tongue. You will not be tempted to carry out in the flesh what you would normally do if left to your own uh, desires. To be filled with God is to empty yourself of you and what you want and what you think, and you're going to go that extra mile, and you're going to do what, what the Lord would want you to do. But to be filled... Um, you are, you, are, you are sealed. You know, the Holy Spirit spells out the terms of the agreement. When you think of the word sealed, it's almost like it's a, a spiritual document, if you will. The Holy Spirit lays out the terms. Well, here is what is needed. If you want to sign on this dotted line, here's what takes, here's what takes place. You believing in Jesus, Jesus doing it all. You're not doing a single thing. You're just by faith accepting Jesus, and you're going to follow Jesus the rest of your life. And in return, he is going to give you his life, and he's going to take away your life of sin and, and, and everything else that comes with it. And so when that, when that happens, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation is what's going to save you, and thereby you are sealed. In that gospel... Every single thing is linked to Jesus and his shed blood. The Holy Spirit makes it clear that our salvation is free and it will last forever. Um, but all the doing has been done. There's not a single thing that we can add to it. You were sealed. Number four, you were redeemed. Knowing that, 1 Peter 1, 18-19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed, with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, 
the blood of Christ. Now, you were, you and I, you were redeemed. You know, every single false religion that's out there teaches that salvation can either be purchased or it can be earned. Every single one. There's not a one out there that doesn't. Not a one. Every single one. People have all sorts of ideas of how God can be approached. Don't they? They all do. They all do. My friend, i got to tell you, if you think that there is any other way to get God's attention other than claiming the blood of Jesus, who has the power to wash away all of our sins forever, you're wasting your time. People will do good works. They'll go to penance. penance. Uh, they go to confession. They'll burn candles. Chant. <coughs> chant. They'll fast. They'll meditate. They'll do just about anything to get God's attention or to show that they are wanting to prove themselves worthy. Every single day, people will do that with God. And it doesn't do one single thing for them with God. Not one single thing. It is only by going to God through Jesus that we have God's undivided attention. It is only when we go through His Son do we have the promise of knowing that God is going to listen to us and that God is going to be there. Uh, for us the bible makes it clear it is the cross of christ that bridges our path to god and every other path goes to hell number five the bible says you and i we were totally forgiven colossians 2 13 through 14 makes this clear it says and when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, when you stop and you look at that, it's not just the fact that you were a sinner, that's it, that's it. But look at how much of a sinner you were. He says, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, that's our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us that were hostile towards us. You had no idea I had no idea just what was against you, what was against me prior to coming to Jesus. No idea. But what does the Bible have to say? You were condemned. You were alienated from God. You were as a stranger to him. And the, and the worst part, and his wrath abided on you. But the moment you turn to Jesus, it's a whole 
new day. It is gone. It's all gone. Those decrees written against you, those judgments held against you, the penalty held against you, it's gone. Because Jesus took your place. Number six, the Bible says you were blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, when Paul was writing this, he just wasn't saying stuff to fill up a letter that we have as a book. Every word is there for a reason. Look at that verse again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He could have put a period right there, but he didn't. He said, in the heavenly places in Christ. This verse praises God for the blessings that he has provided. Paul ties together the ideas of predestination, God's glory, the salvation of his people, and the rights that we have as children of God. And he does so in such a way as to try to help it make sense. Believers are blessed, but it's only because God chose before creation to save us. The salvation um, that he gave, it came at a very high cost as well. It was the death of his son. And as children of God, we can be confident that God will give us what he promised, which is an eternity with him. Number seven, the Bible says you were adopted. You were adopted. You were adopted by God to receive a father-child relationship. You'll find that in Romans 8, 15 through 16. How many of you, by the way, I know there's a whole lot of people on summer vacation, but I also ask the question, how many of you in this room, you were adopted? How many of you in this room know of someone who was adopted? You were adopted. The moment you became a Christian, you were adopted. God adopted you. You didn't choose him. The Bible says he chose you. Now, God chooses everyone. God is not slow concerning his promise, as many counsel on us, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. That's, God's, that's at the center of God's heart. But God chose you. You didn't wake up one morning and decide, well, what am I going to do today? Gosh, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to go out and get saved. Didn't work like that. Didn't work like that at all. For some of you, God had to do a whole lot of running to get your attention. And aren't you thankful that he did? You were adopted. I was adopted in order that he could show and demonstrate this father-son, father-daughter relationship. It says in that verse in Romans, 
For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself witness bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Boy, Third Day has a great song on this one here too. You ought to listen to it if you get a chance today. Children of God. It'll, it'll, you'll want to charge hell with a squirt gun by the time you're through listening to them sing that song. When you look at this verse, very simply put, what does it mean? It means that through the miracle of regeneration, we have been brought into the closest intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It is the exact same kind of intimacy that Jesus himself enjoyed. That's the kind of relationship you can have with God. Now, but you never think of it that way, do you? How close can you get with God? On this verse right here, you know what it says? You can get as close to God as Jesus and his relationship that he had with God was. You think, well, you know, I'm surrendering my life to, to Christ and he's going to forgive me. I'm going to follow him. Yes, all that stuff is true. But the intimacy, the relationship that you can have, that I can have with God, can be the exact same, on the same level as Jesus, if you would just pursue God. That's what it says right here. The next, uh, number eight, is really closely aligned to this thing of adoption. Number eight, it says, you were made co-heirs co-heirs with christ to share to share now in his sufferings and afterward in his glory the verse romans 8 17 and it says and if children heirs also heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him too I'm going to read that one again. And if children, if you're, if you're a child of God, then you're heirs. You're an heir to God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified. You see, because adoption into the family of God is such a priceless privilege, it also involves a process of discipline. And what is that discipline? That discipline is bringing you and bringing me into line to what the Father wants us to learn. It is readjusting our way of doing things to the way that He wants us to do things. That's that co-heir uh, walk that we have relationship that we have with jesus that's what that means god must fit us for our high and our holy calling so as he adopts us he adapts us 
to how he wants us to live and how he wants us to serve him. Um, he takes us where we were and he says, I'm going to bring you over here with me and I'm going to teach you how you need to get her done. I'm going to teach you how I want you to live, how I want you to think, um, what I want you to do and how you're going to do it. I'm going to do all of this. We are made a co-heir with Christ. You know, the theologian John Phillips, <clears throat> he stated this. He said, quote, After there has been an adoption, there is an adaption. Coming to Jesus means to follow Jesus, and following Jesus oftentimes will be very costly. Now, how many of us don't know that? We all learn to adapt to the high calling that we have in following Christ. As believers in Jesus, we recognize that suffering will play a role at some place in our life. And we know that too. All you got to do is really take a stand for Jesus in where you work, where you live, who you hang with, and you're going you're gonna to discover the, the reality of that statement. And isn't it interesting how true that is every time, 100% of the time? It, because it's a, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. But it's true. As believers in Christ, we recognize that suffering is going to play a role if we follow him. It costs Jesus his life, and it's supposed to cost us the part of being obedient to him. He just wants us to be obedient. Obedient is just that Bible word that means I'm going to do what God wants. Regardless of how I'm going to feel or how much it hurts, I'm going to do what God wants. And then last, the Bible says you were raised up with Christ and you were seated with him in the heavenlies. You were seated with him, with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2, 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Okay, in the heavenly places. I don't think Rendon is in the heavenly places. Now, Bob Potter right now, he's in the heavenly places. He's there. Bible says that when you were saved, a lot of things took place. You had no idea. You thought just your sins were forgiven. A lot of things took place. The Bible says right here that you were seated with him. You're not there yet, but you're there. Your spot is there. You hadn't gotten there yet, but you're on your way. It's the promise. It's the exchange. Jesus exchanges his life for yours, and you're going to go and be with him. You were raised up, and you will one day be seated with him. With him. God plucked us from the tomb. The resurrection of Christ was the key. And since our tra trespasses and sins were dealt with on the cross, when Christ rose again, it made it possible for us to arise. The debt was canceled. Sin's penalty was paid. And death's hold on all of us was broken. 
And the biggest mind-blowing thing of all, of all these thoughts, is the second part of this verse, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christ is portrayed in the Bible as sitting at God's right hand. That's just another way of showing that Jesus has all authority because he is at God's right hand. At God's right hand doesn't mean he's up there and he's sitting down right below uh, God. He shares co-equal power, all authority. This means that co-equal power between the Father and the Son. Um, we are also told in this verse, remember, with him, seated us with him, the Bible makes it very clear that believers are going to be there with Him. We're not going to be above the clouds. We're not going to be sitting outside of the gate that goes into the temple. I mean, goes into, in, in, into heaven. It doesn't even say that we're going to be standing in the midst of the angelic hosts. Know what it says? We're going to be seated with Him. You are. And I am. Because when he saved you, he invaded you. And he took ownership of you. Because he loves you. And he does not want you to be tainted and damaged by the things in this world. He wants you for him. And he's got a job for you. He has a role for you. He has a purpose for you. We're going to be with Him. With Him. You know, these nine points are about some of the things that happened to you. Just some of the things that happened to you the moment you became a Christian. Um, do you kind of get the idea that maybe salvation with God is a pretty big deal? Do you kind of... He just doesn't say you're saved and you're going to heaven... Here's just, just nine different ways of looking at what happened in your life the moment you became a Christian. So I want to ask you this morning, are you spiritually prepared? How are you right now in your life? How are you living for the Lord? Are you following Him uh, up close or are you following Him from afar? What is it that is keeping you from having that closer walk with him. He wants to have it with you. He is waiting on you, but only you can make that choice. So my prayer today for the church is only you can answer that question for you, how, how to be spiritually prepared. But I want, uh, and when you look at what we looked at last week, getting your aligning your life with him and what all that means today we got to see from god's point of view what it means to coexist with him what he did with you the moment he put his holy spirit inside of you and sealed you until the day of redemption and all of this is is very important stuff why you know the world is full of change there's change going on all around us Governments are changing, 
lifestyles um, are changing, about morality, things about, uh, about our whole lives. We're constantly under attack. Things are changing. But there's one thing that you can have certainty on. 1 John 5.13, we hit it a lot last week, is what we're going to leave this message on here today. 1 John 5.13, John said, I write these things to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have not nailed down the fact that your sins have been forgiven, that you have trusted in Christ, I'm going to ask you today to nail that down. You cannot get moving in your spiritual life uh, and all that God has got in store if this has not been settled. If you do not know 100% that you would go to heaven if you were to die, then you need to nail that down. You need to get spiritually prepared. And for those of you, you have got that nailed down and there is no doubt and you've been moving and walking and growing with the Lord. Remember just these nine things. And there's more. Because salvation is a pretty big deal to God because you are a pretty big deal to God. And He's not going to be through with you until it's time. And until that time comes, we've got to get busy. And he's ready to use you to show others who his son is. So that he can have that kind of a change in their life like he did when he had that change in yours. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you right now. And Lord, we really want to just take this time to pause and reflect on what it means to really be spiritually prepared. God, today we looked at a, a, a lot of stuff and all the things that happened in our lives the moment when we surrendered our lives to following you. God, I pray and ask that you would help us today to reflect on what it really means to be a Christian. God, when we go out this door this week, we have a chance to gather people this week or scatter people this week based on how we live. And I pray, God, that we will gather people. Lord, people are looking for answers, and they're not finding them because they're looking in all the places that's just very temporary. Lord, what you offer is real. Father, what you, uh, what you offer uh, is life-changing. And it's my prayer, God, today that you would help us to really focus on the things that you want to do and what you're willing to do if we will just trust in you. So, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here and they don't know if they're a Christian, God, they can know that if they just want to come down and speak to one of us or uh, any of the prayer people at the end of the aisles, they can do that. Lord, if there are those here today and they just need that confirmation, I pray, God, that you would motivate them to take someone with them and come down and maybe all they need to do is pray. But, God, I pray and ask that you would help us today to really be focused on all that we're supposed to be about and all that you want us to do for you this week. God, we just thank you for this time, but Lord, we really thank you for your salvation and what you offered and gave us 2,000 years ago on that cross. In Jesus' name, amen.